0: Well, sisters and brothers, uh, if you were here last week, you know this. If not, you may not, that we are uh, looking at our series in James. And so this is the second Sunday uh, of our look at the book of James. And um, so last week we kicked it off, and so we will continue today. We'll be going over the next another seven weeks or so uh, in this kind of great but difficult book in many uh, different ways. And so I invite you then to hear uh, what James has to say to us this morning. James writes... You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. And therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. And welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. And if any think that they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let us pray. God, we come to you on this dreary morning, on a strange spring that we have been experiencing, Lord, but even as the weather changes so dramatically, we know that you are unchanging. And so we gather together this morning to ask the question of what it means for us to be loved by you and what difference that makes. In our lives and in our world. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So if any of you uh, went off to college, or for those of you who went off to college and uh, remember kind of moving into your dorm or your apartment for the first time, uh, for me at least... Uh, The most important thing in the very beginning was to try to make that room as homey as possible. And so I would usually go with my mom. She would uh, come up and help to kind of drop off all my stuff during those four years and then we'd usually go out to the store and we'd buy a, a lamp or a, a little rug or some kind of picture or something that just made me feel like this wasn't just some kind of sterile room, like I was safe, like this was a good, comfortable, cozy place. And uh, after my uh, junior year, the, the, or excuse me, after my sophomore year, I spent a summer uh, in Chicago. And, and while there, even though I'm not a Cubs fan, let me be very clear, um, I did buy this massive Print of Wrigley Field right after, they had bought, right after they had brought on their lights, uh, the stadium lights. And it was big and I got it framed and it was, it was really, it was, it was beautiful. And so I went in there and, and on that year, my junior year, it was, I was the first person to live in that room. It was a brand new dorm. So it was me and my roommate and we were looking at this huge blank canvas where we could have put up this print. And he said to me, he said, you know, Jerry, this thing seems pretty heavy. You might want to find a stud to hang that in, right? Well, I made the, of course, the obligatory. Hey, found one, right? And um, this is what you do if you're me. And so uh, he, he did not think it was humorous. And uh, and and I said, well, that's great. I said, but honestly, this is true. I said, I don't, I don't know what that is. What are, you, what are you talking about? And he said, well, he goes, you know, he goes, I don't really know either. He said, I saw it on this old house one time, and I thought it must be legit. And so we were sitting there, and all of a sudden, I mean, it was almost like magic. This guy appeared in our room, uh, dressed in flannel and construction-like boots, which I thought, this is a good sign. And he said, hey, what are you guys doing? And I said, hey, we're looking for a stud. I did, again, the obligatory joke, and he also didn't laugh. He laughed even less than my roommate. And then he said, oh, you need a stud? And before you know it, he hopped up on the bed, and he started tapping on the wall, Right. I didn't know what he was doing. I thought he had lost his mind. But finally, he was like, okay, right here. This is where you need to put it. And so he said, all right. So I put the nail in there. I hung it in. And the whole year long, it was great. Now, you may be wondering what that has to do with this today. And what it has to do with this today is I have found, as I mentioned briefly last week, that it is oftentimes very difficult in the book of James to find a good stud upon which to hang a sermon you know I was i 've I heard this read this commentary not long ago that talked about the fact that this really is it was very encouraging that James is a really hard book to preach on because, as we said last Sunday, it flits around so quickly it 's here for a verse or two and then it 's someplace else and then it 's someplace else and it 's really hard to get a handle on it and so i 've wrestled this week as I will continue to wrestle throughout James to try to figure out is there one theme one thing that we can really just kind of hang a whole sermon on when it comes to James. and I knew that, that because last week was spring break that there might be people here who weren't here last week. So let me just say a couple of quick things in terms of framing our understanding of James. First, before you get into the book very much, it is important to remember that this book was written for people who had already experienced the love and grace of Jesus. In our scripture passage today, it talks about the fact that we need to welcome the implanted word, which means, of course, that God is the agent and has already implanted his word upon us, that we have already then received that grace and love. So before you start getting into all the ethics of James, of which there is much, it's basically a book on ethics, you need to remember. That you are doing this not in order to grab something from God, not in order to grab that grace or that love, but instead what James is asking is, if you have welcomed in this implanting from God, then what do you do? How do you then respond in grace and in love? How do you then respond to those things? What does that mean for how we live? Which is then the other framing part of James that I think is also critical, which is this. That the question, it seems to me, as I said last week, that James is asking us to wrestle with is, can we go to bed tonight looking more like Jesus than when we woke up? Can we go to bed tonight looking more like Jesus than when we woke up? And that's full. James is full of the things of saying his advice for how we can go to bed looking more like Jesus than when we woke up. But remember, when James is talking about this, he does not just want to tickle your ears or your mind. He will say again and again, as he does even today, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a, a doer of the word. It's not enough just to know something if you're not actually practicing it, right? So again, it's like being in a restaurant or going to eat and you you see, you know, oh, great, salads are only 300 calories. While you eat, what did I say last week? French fries that have, you know, cheese on top of them, you can continue to eat that and you can know that a salad is only 300 calories. It will not change your physical shape in any good way for you to keep eating the fries covered with cheese and whatever else and just learn more about how healthy you could eat, right? And yet so often this is exactly what we think when it comes to our spirituality, that if we just know enough, then we will be shaped more and more like Jesus. And that is not the case, and that's what James knows so clearly. No, no, if you, have, if you want to really be shaped more like Jesus, you have to physically engage in different spiritual practices, And so this morning then, what James begins is he he begins by telling us that we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. That if we can do those things, then we will look more like Jesus, not yet, then we will look more like Jesus, don't read, then we will look more like Jesus. Some of you read, I could see it. That we'll look more like Jesus than we did when we woke up. Up right, and so what does this mean? Well, of course, you know when we talk about this kind of being quick to uh, quick to listen and slow to speak, this is something that we talked about uh, during the Jacob series. Remember, we we said that that words have a remarkable power that they can either bless and give life, or they can curse and bring death. Uh, When we talked about this on, on Wednesday during our staff meeting, someone said, you know, maybe we should add that you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to type, and slow to anger right because the reality of course is in this day and age it's not just the words it is how quickly we type how quickly we tweet how, twi- how quickly we do how quickly how, how quickly we do all of these other things right and we do them quickly so often and we have a remarkable opportunity in the church to be incredibly countercultural in the ways that we slow down what we say and that we shape what we say in order to give life right this is what NT Wright, you can read this now this is what N. T. Wright says he says it isn't he says the tongue isn't just conveying information it actually does things it changes things it brings about a new and lasting state of affairs and if we thought about that before we spoke the words that we so often speak to family members to co-workers to brothers and sisters in christ to whomever it is how might that shape us more like jesus but what was also interesting to me in this was this, was, was the quick to listen I, that is such an active word and, and, and most often when it comes to listening, we think of it more as being something very. Passive that we have to restrain ourselves, right? And, and even when we know we're supposed to listen, we, we, we typically listen, but really what we're doing is just waiting for the other person to breathe so that then we can tell him or her where they are wrong, right? I mean, this is usually what it, the, the way that we deal with things. So I love this sense of being quick to listen because it is so active. And so this week, I, I kind of typed in quick to listen and, and, and looked for images, right? And this was the first image that came up, which I think is a... You know, that's a pretty good image, you know, in terms of what it actually looks like to listen, right? And then there is this other one. It's less humorous, but I really like it. This this sense of being quick to listen with this image of a rabbit and then slow to speak with the image of a turtle, right? This is this kind of great imagery. Most of us, of course, we flip those two animals, right? We tend to be quick to speak and slow to listen, and, and, and what James does, because he's incredibly pragmatic, very practical, he says, if you want to be shaped more like Jesus, he says, this is what will bring about the righteousness of God. This is what will help you to be shaped more like Jesus, is to begin by simply being quick to listen and slow to speak. Then James kind of quickly moves back over to something that we talked about even last week. Remember, James is very big into repetition and so he says, okay, well, that's great. He's like, here's the thing. Be listeners, not doers, as we've already said. And then he brings us this image because he wants us to kind of have a picture in our heads. He says, look, being somebody who only listens and doesn't actually do anything is like someone who looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets what he or she looks like. He says, that's just silly to do that, right? So what is, what is James saying here? Well, one of the things that you all know, at least many of you know, is in between the 9 and the 1030 service, um, I always, you know, I greet people, I do everything I can to greet them, and then, as quickly as possible, I go and get... A donut. Yeah, you guys know this, right? And my preference tends to be glazed. Sometimes I'll branch out, but typically I go glazed, right? I, I, I love it, right? And the donut people, they always know. They're always waiting for me. They're always very kind. And so I grab the donut and I eat the donut and I, and I eat it, you know. I, I try to be as smooth as possible, but I'm mostly just jamming that thing down. And, and, but what I also do that you may not know about is, is that typically then I will go back into the office where there is a mirror, and I will look in the mirror, and with great frequency, there is some kind of massive piece of glaze, right? That's on my face, or it's on my nose, you know, or it gets on the microphone sometimes, right? And so, right, and so I look at it, and I say, oh, there's glaze right there. And I, I wipe it off, right? Because when you go, frequently when you go look at the mirror, you do it to make sure that everything is right, that nothing is askew, right? And then you, 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 you of course, wipe it off. What sense does it make? to go to see this massive piece of glaze and to be like that looks good and then just go on right or just to forget that you were supposed to actually wipe it off or why you had gone and James says that is far too often what we actually do when it comes to the word right that you come here let's say on a Sunday morning and you hear the words of scripture oh yes that's great quick to listen slow to speak you know We should really do that. That's great. And then you walk out of the sanctuary and you don't think about it one more time. right? And this is what James is seeing. My guess is in the church, this is why he's writing this then. But it's probably also fairly accurate even now. James says, no, 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 if you see, if you sit there and you look at the mirror and you say, you know what, this is where things are a bit askew. This is where I'm not being very quick to listen. And you walk away, it's as ridiculous as forgetting what you look like after looking in the mirror. But there's also this other facet, it seems to me, of this image of the mirror that people bring up that I think is is also important for us to see. Which is that James is not only saying that you will see some of your own kind of uh, hindrances or your wrinkles or those kinds of things. But James says, when you look in the mirror, do you also see the image of God? Do you also see, when you look in the mirror, someone who has been created in God's image? Because the reality is that far too often when we look in the mirror, all we see are another wrinkle, Right Or another scar or someplace else that we're not quite measuring up. And James says, no, no, no. I want you to look in that mirror and I want you to see an image of God. Because what we know, we talk about this, is the reality that who you see yourself being is so often directly correlated to what you do and to how you act. Right In our culture, we tend to focus more on kind of what you do and what you've accomplished. But James says, no, that these things always begin with who you are first and foremost. And if you see that you are created in the image of God, if you believe that, he says, then don't forget that throughout the week. Always remember that because that will change how you act. And so James says, remember who you are. Look in the mirror. Don't forget but I also think that an additional part of this that we cannot forget, because James wrote to a community, is this fact, which is that we are called, as sisters and brothers in Christ, we are called to hold up the mirror for one another. And I think that this is something that's really important. When I was growing up, uh, maybe like most kids, I don't know, I haven't seen it yet in my children, so maybe it was just me, but I love to look in the mirror. Anyone else remember loving to look in the mirror, we'll skip over this story, we'll go someplace else. So, I love to look in the mirror, right? And I didn't just stare at the mirror, right? I, I was always usually kind of acting something out, right? I was, I was using an accent or something, or I was trying to perform. I know it's very hard to believe, but, but I would stand up there, right? And that's what I would, I would love doing that. And then when I was like in middle school, I started working out, right? And this was, this was so much fun. I even saw like there were some actual muscles coming, right? But what was most exciting was when I first started seeing some veins. Remember that? Not varicose veins. Those aren't nearly as exciting. But actual veins coming right from, and, and I'd sit there and I would do like a set of curls. And then I would go look in the mirror and be like, bam, look at that, huh? Right? And it was amazing. And apparently I could spend quite a bit of time doing that. Because my mother would come along at points and she would say, Jerry, quit staring at the mirror. Right. In other words, what she was saying really was, Jerry, it's clear you are becoming prideful and you have forgotten about what Jesus looks like. She would be holding up a different kind of mirror to say, hey, have you thought about you know, maybe getting that glaze off of your nose? Have you thought about maybe trying to be a little bit more humble? Right? And there was this kind of helpful thing. And I think actually, as brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not something you do when you first meet somebody, by the way. This is something that, as you cultivate relationships and grow closer to one another, they can hold up mirrors and help you to see where are those places where I'm not quite stacking up. And more often than not, we hold up mirrors for one another simply by the way that we live. Right? I mean, I know that I have several sisters and brothers in Christ who are so much more patient than I am. And when I'm around them, it's like they're holding up a mirror. Right? When I see the way that they deal with their children, and I was like, man, if my child had said that, I mean, I probably would erupt. And I just see how they are loving. What does that do? It holds up the mirror for me to say, oh, okay. Maybe this is what patience looks like. And if you see that, then you begin to look more like Jesus, right? But we also get to hold up the mirror to remind people, as I just said, that they are images of God. That's perhaps one of the greatest things that we can do because it is so easy to forget. And we come in here on Sunday mornings and we say, hey, remember this. You are loved by God. You are created in the image of God. You are a child of God. And then we go home and we get, you know, perhaps by the, um, by, uh, we get criticized by our boss or by a client or, or we're surrounded in a, a society where if you're single, let's say, or even in our church at times where you're single and we say, well, you really begin to matter once you're married. Right? Or, or maybe as a parent, you begin to feel like you're failing as a parent. Or you know, maybe as a student, right you fail a test. And all of these kinds of things. And we can begin to forget. And a part of our call is to look into one another. Especially when we are struggling. And to say to that other person, No, 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 remember, here's a mirror. Remember, you are a child of God. You were created in the image of God. Never forget that. Because to forget that, James says, then you will not be able to then grow closer to Jesus. Let's remember what you look like. Let's remember who Jesus is. Then James, I want you to pay attention to this. He then goes back and he talks about the power of the tongue again right? Remember what we said about formation. It happens often. The first of three legs is through repetition, right? So James says, you know what? You may have forgotten what I just said about three verses earlier. And so let me remind you of the tongue again, right? Don't forget. And then he goes on to say, and here's the thing I want you to know. When it comes to religion altogether, I want you to know this. Pure religion is that which is unstained by the world, and that cares for the orphans and the widows. And I want you to remember those two things because to me, this is a critical tension that far too often we in the church don't get. We tend to focus on one or the other, right? James says, no, 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 don't be stained by the world. In other words, we need to be aware of how the world around us is shaping us, Right? In what way are they shaping us? In what way are our desires shaped by the media? Uh, in what ways are our desires shaped by, uh, by the society in which we live, by the culture all around us? In what ways is this shaping us in ways that are counter-cultural to what Jesus would desire? We need to be unstained by the world. Now the easiest way to be unstained by the world, of course, is to have absolutely nothing to do with the world. Right? If you have a great shirt that you really love and you don't want to be stained, guess what you don't do? You don't eat anything, you don't drink anything, right? You just you just keep away from it, right? But James says, no, "No, no, no, that's not enough because what you also have to do is you have to care for the orphan and the widow and they are in the world, which means you have to go out." So we care about justice, we care about compassion, we care about loving our neighbor. We care about all those things, right? And again, most Christian groups they will either focus more on being unstained by the world or on caring for the orphans and the widows. But James says, do not be content with either of those. We are called to do both. Which then illuminates eliminate, in many ways, I think the rest of this passage or what has come before. I, I think it's easy in the book of James for us to think only about personal and individual shaping. Right? And that, of course, is a very important part. Going to bed, I'm going to put this repetition, going to bed looking more like Jesus than when you... Going to bed looking more like Jesus than when you... There we go, waking up, that's great. So going to bed looking more like Jesus right, than when you woke up. And that's all true and good and right, and we will continue to be shaped by that. But Scott McKnight, who's a New Testament scholar up in the Chicago area, he, he, he has this great kind of sense of James. And one of the things that he points out is when you go back to the very beginning where it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, he says that brings righteousness. But he says that word for righteousness is not just kind of being made right with God. He also says it's very similar to the word that Jesus would use for kingdom, in other words, what James is saying is if you want to bring about the kingdom of God, that will not happen if you are slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to get angry. It will only happen when you are slow to speak and slow to get angry and quick to listen. That this is how you bring about the kingdom of God. Many people in the times of James and many in the church, they thought that if they got angry and even got violent, that they could bring about the kingdom of God. And James is saying, no, that's not the case. But not only that, then it says, don't deceive yourselves by thinking that you can listen and not have to do. Don't deceive yourselves. And what is he saying? We deceive ourselves into thinking that the kingdom of God will be able to come if we just listen and we don't actually do something. And James says no, right? And so throughout what James is doing is he's holding this tension. And the tension that I want you to pay attention to today and then for the rest of James is this, that James wants us to go to bed looking more like Jesus than when we woke up, But he also says that by doing these sorts of things, that the community that surrounds us will look more like the kingdom of God when the sun sets than when it rose. Let me say that again. That what James also believes is that in doing these things, that the community around us will look more like the kingdom of God when the sun sets than when the sun rose. And I think that that's a great tension for us to hold when we go throughout this book of James. Now, the problem with that is that usually when we talk about big, great things like bringing the kingdom of God, we think this is this great, big image, and and, and so we have these high hopes, and we forget that bringing about the kingdom of God occurs by doing very small things. There's a book by Eugene Cho that I haven't read, but, um, I mean, you don't really need to read them. You just have the books because it makes you look impressive. But, but someone gave it to my wife, and, 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 and its subtitle is this. Uh, what is the subtitle? I've, I haven't read it, so I have no idea what it's even talking about. Here it says this. Are we more in love with the idea of changing the world than actually changing the world? So I don't know what the book is saying. Well, I'm going to take a crack at it. Which is that we get so excited about thinking about grand things. Like, hey, wouldn't that be great if we looked more like Jesus when we went to bed than when we woke up? Or, hey, wouldn't it be great if this community looked more like the kingdom of God when the sun sets than when it rose? And we have these grand things. But what James tells us is, that's great. That's wonderful. And you know how it's going to happen? Oh, this is great. When you're quick to listen. Wah, Right? That doesn't make the news. That's not super exciting. That doesn't get you up in the morning. But James says, no, no, no. It's when you do that. It's, it's, when, you, it's when you look at a trial that you're going through, as we said last week, and you look at it with joy. Ugh. Right. It's when you decide that rather than being in the rat race and going around this treadmill, as James said last week, that you decide to not give in to the busyness. It's when you decide that rather than trying to blame God or someone else for your own ways of giving in to temptation, you start with yourself. That's not exciting. We have a sense of the celebrity, the exciting. If we're going to bring about the kingdom, let's all join together and we'll go out and do one thing together. It'll be amazing. It'll bring massive shifts. And what James is saying is it starts with you and it starts with the little things that you begin to do. And is it possible that when your child or your spouse or your friend or your coworker says something to you that is really annoying and frustrating. That in that very moment when you decide that you are going to simply listen right then and not say exactly what you want to say immediately. That that is the beginning of you being shaped more like Jesus when you went to bed than when you woke up. And... That it is also the beginning of God's kingdom being even more clear in your own house or in your office or in your community when the sun set than when it rose. We are fascinated by the big and the exciting and the fancy. And James says, hey, this is a great image. We want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But it is going to begin in very small ways. This past week in our home groups, we talked about this, where I want us to talk about it in, in the following week, of being very deliberate, of, of assessing our own calendar and saying, in what way am I living my life and in what way are, is this shaping me to look more like Jesus or less like Jesus? A very practical thing to do. This week... As you leave, I meant to have one of these little papers, that that last poster that was up there with the turtle and with the rabbit. There are little three-by-five cards out there. That one, well done, that one right there. There are little ones, and I want you to take them home, right? Not one per household, please. We only made so many, but take them home. You can put it back up there. I love this. And I want you to put it on your dining room table or put it on your refrigerator. I don't care, but I want you to put it someplace, Wherever it is that you and your family, or if you're on your own, it doesn't matter. Just put it someplace where you will see it. Because what we want to do is we want to see it again and again. Because that's called repetition. And how are we shaped and formed to be doers and not just listeners? It's through repetition. And then I want you to talk about it. There are more details in your bulletin. I want you to talk about it. If you're a part of a home group, talk about it in there. If you're not, talk about it with somebody else. Because we are oftentimes shaped as well through community right and furthermore we are shaped by the ways that we actually engage in something or we see something more than just hearing it we see this little red thing and we're like ah that's right put it someplace or maybe put it someplace where you know more often than not you need to be quick to listen and slow to speak all of us have particular places where that is most difficult for me it's in my household right here's what i want it's very simple I want us to be a people who don't just talk about how great it would be if we looked more like Jesus. And I don't want us to be a people who just say, hey, wouldn't it be great if the God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven? That would be so wonderful. That is like someone who looks in a mirror and five seconds later they forget what they have seen. James says there's no time for that. That is a waste of a Christian life. James says, know this, that the way to begin to look more like Jesus when you go to bed than when you woke up, the way to bring God's kingdom in your community, that it looks more like God's kingdom when the sun sets than when it rose, is for you to begin to do some of those small things. Think about what would happen this week if each and every one of us We're willing to take this one small thing and begin to practice that with one another. Let us not be a people who have forgotten what it is that we look like, what it is that Jesus calls us to. Amen? Let's pray. God, you know how easy it is for us to talk. It seems it gets easier and easier as each year continues for us to be a people who, who love to say things, even if nothing ever changes. Sometimes, Lord, we're waiting for the big opportunity to make a big splash for God's kingdom, or or we just think that at some moment, all of a sudden, we're gonna look more like Jesus. But James reminds us again that the ways in which we are shaped like you. and the ways in which your kingdom comes on Earth as it is in heaven, so often begin, not with the big splash, but with our willingness to control our tongue, with our ability to slow down and not be so busy. Help us. Give us courage to not wait but to begin today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.